0: Albert Wenger came up a couple times in my podcast feed and so I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into his work because he explained this one idea he calls the knowledge loop and that is to learn and create and share and then repeat that and that's kind of what blogging and podcasting is. So these are three things that I learned from watching Albert on YouTube and listening to his podcast interviews, mostly the one with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. First is this idea of thesis-driven investing. What's that mean and how it changes? Second is thinking about cryptocurrencies and why they may be important and really diving into Carlotta Perez's work. And the third was his book, World After Capital. Why he wrote it, what's important about writing it, and what kind of changes he expects. So, let's get started. at union square ventures where albert works they're thesis driven and he put it this way quote, to me the idea of having a thesis is a little like the idea behind science end quote albert wants something that he can test and refine and adapt and change over time and at usv they focused on the idea of network effects at first, those network effects were in consumer-facing companies, but eventually they went on to add business-to-business companies. And as Albert explained, quote, as businesses add customers, it makes the service better for everybody, end quote. That's a great explanation of what the network effects are. Scott Galloway explains them nicely, too. He calls them Benjamin Button companies. A winner, the Benjamin Button economy, the 13 companies in the S&P 500, beat the s and average five years running, showing that we are in fact in a winner-take-all economy. What do these Benjamin Button companies have in common? They age in reverse. Their products become more valuable with use. Every time you're on Facebook, the core platform becomes more useful. When you turn on Waze, it adds additional utility to people's traffic patterns. Yesterday's economic titans, Ford, Procter & Gamble, Caterpillar, produce products that decline in value perishable with use, And we talked about this in a previous podcast, too, when we look at what Pat Dorsey looks for when he makes an investment. This is how he put it at the Manual of Ideas conference. Quote, when the iPod first came on the market, remember the Zune sold by Microsoft was on the market at the same time. In the first year or two of the iPod's existence, that was before iTunes, and the iPod sold reasonably well, but it wasn't a huge hit. Then iTunes came along, and suddenly you could buy songs by the drink, but only if you had an iPod. Hockey stick growth. If you're a music publisher, why do you want to be on iTunes? Because you have all those people with iPods out there. Why, as a user, do you want to buy an iPod? Because it's the only thing I can use to buy songs one by one legally. This was before they shut down Napster. End quote. Network effects can be really powerful. They can be something that businesses chase. They can be something that becomes what investors call a moat. Alex Mosad wrote in Modern Monopolies this, quote, however, this new informational paradigm required a new business model, which many entrepreneurs and investors didn't understand at the time. The business environment after the arrival of the internet was fundamentally different from anything that came before. Yet many of these new businesses simply use traditional business models and set up a website as the distribution mechanism with the expectation that the internet would make business models work at scale because of network effects. Even though it wasn't clear what those network effects were or how they would help improve the business cost structure. Pets.com is one of the most infamous examples but others, including Cosmo.com, Webvan, and Garden.com, eventually went under for similar reasons. The tremendous crash that followed the initial rush of enthusiasm was a testament to this failure of thinking. End quote. So, to set the stage, we have this idea, this idea of network effects and connection that the internet allows. But we see in parsing through these different ideas that it wasn't just network effects solving for it technology is never a panacea it's never going to snap your fingers and create a solution for something but you have to grow and you have to adapt in the way that's best suited by whatever the technology innovation offers it wasn't just that albert succeeded because of network effects but he succeeded because he understood why platforms worked but These modern monopolies aren't all good. In the same way that network effects don't immediately mean you'll have a successful business, uh, becoming a modern monopoly doesn't mean that you will always be a great company. Tim Wu calls uh, this effect the Kronos effect, and he explains it when he's talking about his book, The Master Switch. The problem is, is that monopolies... Dominant companies can suppress their heirs, just like Cronus the titan. Cronus was uh, one of the original titans, and he was told in a prophecy that one of his children would take over his power, so instead of um, letting that happen, he would eat his children. And Wu makes the case that companies will sometimes do that, they'll shut down things that may have the power to really grow into something. In one talk on YouTube he gives the example of Bell Laboratories developing an answering machine system, but shelving it for years because they thought people would be worried about being recorded on the phone, or that they would make fewer phone calls. And yet we have to balance this with the advantages that come from having a single provider. This is what Wu said, quote, What people say is that they like competition. What people vote in terms of their clicks should be registered as pro-monopolist, end quote. And then in another part of the talk, he says, quote, Monopolies don't happen because of some magic spell. They happen because people all use one product, end quote. So we have... Ah, these companies that rise to power and everything that's, everything seems good, but the problem is, is that once they um, become in power, they tend to stay in power because of those positive feedback loops, and that can lead to uh, years of abusive behavior. This is what Wu says, one more quote. Quote, as companies age, they tend to invest less in innovation and more in suppression, end quote. I think that Albert understands this in a very nuanced way understands the drivers and the causes of it. Because as networks have changed, as opportunities have changed, his thinking has changed too. And part of the reason his thinking has changed is because of what we call alpha erosion. It's this idea that if you have an advantage of some area then other people are going to be attracted to that area. And that advantage is going to be arbitraged away or eroded away, and you're going to be left with less of an advantage. And this is the classic Howard Marks 2x2 two two framework, where you want to be right and you want to be non-consensus. And in uh, Trent Griffin's wonderful post on this, he has a nice visual with a green check mark. But people will come to that green check mark like flies will come to shit. Daryl Morey saw this when he noticed that the Rockets draft order was the actual results. With the same order that they had ranked players, other teams were taking those players. And so he found out that his right and non-consensus view had become the consensus view and there wasn't any advantages to this. This is why Joel Greenblatt told Barry Ritholtz, quote, For investing, if you're a sports fan, Moneyball it was one of the great ones. Undervalued players is very similar to undervalued stocks, end quote. That's his idea of things that people don't notice. And the USV thesis has shifted to that. It's gone from a consumer marketplace to a business-to-business marketplace. And in his podcast with Patrick, Albert talks about the value of network effects when it comes to detecting fraud for business-to-business companies. To recap this first point, we should have a thesis and test it, keep our ego small, and realize that as the world changes, our views of the world have to change too. And so it makes sense that as the thesis changed for usv and for albert that it would land on cryptocurrencies which are kind of an extension of network effects and platform companies Winger thinks it can be a better solution for the motivation and coordination issues in a youtube talk he lays out the different ways motivation and coordination interact For example, the state can motivate through fear or inspiration and coordinate through command and control. The market motivates through self-interest and coordinates through price. Firms motivate through compensation and they coordinate through command and control as well. And if we have the networks and we have the blockchain and we can even have culture create new ways that motivation and coordination interact. And this idea of network effects and, and that connection with other people. He first saw this when he was in college. This is what he said, quote, I remember walking home and thinking, oh my god, newspapers are dead tomorrow. Then of course it took 20 some years for that to actually happen, end quote. So he fires up the Mosaic browser and he goes online and he sees this thing that changes his point of view. He sees this new way to motivate and coordinate and it took a long time for that to happen and that's something that I'm starting to notice in these cryptocurrency conversations is that people think that it was going to change the world and then five years later almost nothing has happened. And it takes a long time for things to happen even though we can get our news and information immediately. It doesn't mean changes are always immediate and intense. Cryptocurrencies and blockchains and this kind of motivation and coordination is important to Albert because it decentralizes things. And he mentions the work of Carlotta Perez. This is what he says, quote, I believe Carlotta Perez's thinking on these technological changes and how they result in financial bubbles is really very good, end quote. And so we should dive into Perez's work a little bit to understand what has influenced Wenger's thinking. In her book, Perez writes that paradigms are kind of how things work, At the individual level, we can see this in the accepted practice of getting into a car with a stranger you met on the internet. Every child of the 1980s is told not to do this, and most children of the aughts are encouraged to do so. There's this paradigm of trusting data and strangers and information and technology that has shifted. Paradigms, Perez writes, is a propelling and a delaying force. Whatever is normal gets pushed ahead. This is what she writes. Quote, paradigms are a propeller because they provide a model that can be followed by all, but its configuration takes time, about a decade or more after the Big Bang, end quote. Okay, okay, so what does she mean by Big Bang? She means these repeated technological innovations that change how we view the world. It's the first mill in 1771. It's the test of a steam engine in 1829. It's the opening of a steel plant in Pittsburgh in 1875. It's the Model T rolling off the assembly line in 1908. And it's the Intel microprocessor in 1971. All of those are inventions that change what people do and how we view the world. As I read Perez's book, I imagine paradigms sort of like physical avenues, literal streets. Some are sunny on one side and shaded on the other. Some are windy, some are not. Some have stores to buy flowers and coffee, and some are full of accountants and lawyers. Whatever the type of avenue, sun, wind, offices will encourage some sort of action and not another. On a windy day when the sun isn't shining, few people will loiter about the windows of a CPA. That's the paradigm. That's the situation that we exist in. With the Big Bang, we get a surge of development. We get the creation of a paradigm. And each part of society will adapt at different rates, Perez writes. Profit sinking and survival pressures will be felt differently depending on who you are. If you're an investor right now in 2017 or 2018, your profits and survival come from understanding cryptocurrencies or cash flows or moats. But social institutions don't feel those same pressures. So we have different adaption curves. A new technology will show people, hey, this is possible, and it will attract others. Wenger had a moment like this, and this is what he told uh, Dave Perel in his conversation. Quote, I had this very interesting experience in Germany just before I left. To get your driver's license is quite expensive, and there's a lot of mandatory driving lessons you have to take. I thought I was being very clever because I made a deal with a local driving school that I would write some software for them, and in return they would give me free driving lessons. But what happened is the driving school took that software and turned it around, sold it to other driving schools. Oh, I'm such an idiot. I should have done that, end quote. So Wenger gets this idea for software further implanted in his mind. He sees that you can distribute this thing that's done for no additional marginal cost or very little additional marginal cost. So we have Perez explaining how Different groups will take up technology at different rates. And, uh, and another way to say this is it's the nerds on the weekend. This is an expression Chris Dixon wrote about way back in 2013. I couldn't believe study what the nerds do on the weekends it was that old, but it is. This is what Dixon wrote, quote, Business people vote with their dollars and are mostly trying to create near-term financial returns. Engineers vote with their time and are mostly trying to invent interesting new things. Hobbies are what the smartest people spend their time on when they aren't constrained by near-term financial goals. Today, the tech hobbies with momentum included math-based currencies like Bitcoin, new software development tools like NoSQL databases, the Internet of Things, 3D printing, touch-free human-computer interfaces, and artisanal hardware like the kind you find on Kickstarter. It's a good bet these present-day hobbies will seed future industries. What the smartest people do on the weekends is what everyone else will do during the week in 10 years, end quote. So we have first the hobbyists on the weekends, and then we have the business people who, as Perez writes, they have to adapt to the times because it's a survival mechanism. So while cryptocurrency is very interesting right now and lots of people are talking about it, it still has a long way to go before we figure these things out. In her podcast with Patrick O'Shaughnessy, Ariana Simpson added this, quote, People laugh at CryptoKitties as a fad, but it's indicative of the fact that we have a lot of work to do on scaling. End quote. In his podcast with Albert, Patrick asked um, if Bitcoin was anti-fragile, and, and this is what Wenger said, Quote, my view is that when the dust settles, there will be a dozen or so protocols that matter. And to get to the ones that matter, we're going to have to try thousands, if not tens of thousands. End quote. But he says Patrick has a good guess. Quote, the zero-knowledge position is that your best predictor for how long something will be around is how long it has been around. End quote. But each technological innovation, each invention, each of these paradigms that Perez writes about, will have this point in the middle about regulation. And Wenger believes this is really important. He wants a safe space for cryptocurrencies to develop. He compares it to driving, where we had to figure out on what side of the road people should drive. We had to figure out what speed limits people should have. We had to figure out what shape and color stop shine should be. They weren't always red octagons. And so this is what Perez writes about this turning point, this regulation middle ground. The turning point has to do with the balance between individual and social interests within capitalism. It is the swing of the pendulum from extreme individualism of frenzy to giving greater attention to collective well-being, usually through the regulatory intervention of the state and the active participation of other forms of civil society. What is held here is that this switch does not occur for ideological or voluntaristic reasons, but as a, as a result of the way in which the installation of a new paradigm takes place. The unsustainable structural tensions that built up in the economy and society, especially during frenzy, must be overcome by recomposition of the conditions for growth and development, end quote. So what Perez is saying here is that technology will be unleashed upon the world, the nerds on the weekends will be the first ones to adopt it, and then the people whose survival depends on it will adopt it, and eventually the rest of society will come along. But as different people pick up different technologies, there's going to be friction along the way. And this is in part why Albert Wenger wrote World After Capital. Albert Wenger says he wrote the book because he believes we need a narrative for the change that's coming. In one talk he said, quote, we have failed to provide a good forward-looking narrative, end quote. And narratives can be incredibly important. Josh Wolfe told Patrick, quote, there are amazing credible people and there are amazing salesmen. And sometimes those two people are one. When they are, you have an amazing entrepreneur, but oftentimes they're not. You need a marriage of both. You need a storyteller, and you need an operator, end quote. You need someone who can sell the sizzle, and you need someone who can cook the steak. The Mona Lisa has sizzle, and the Mona Lisa has steak, too. There's this wonderful series of children's books called the Who Was So-and-So series. My eight-year-old daughter and I are reading about early presidents, but before that, we went through our artist's phase. One of those artists was Leonardo da Vinci. After each book we read, I'll have unanswered questions, and I'll go to Google. And I found out that with da Vinci, the book brings up a few of his other paintings, including the lady with the ermine. And it's just as nice as the Mona Lisa. It's a really pretty painting, but there's no sizzle to it. I'd never even heard of it. In fact, I had to look up how to say the animal that she's holding. It's ermine, but it's spelled ermine. But the Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa has sizzle. Painted in 1504, and hung in Napoleon's bedroom in 1804, it was stolen from the Louvre in 1911, and Pablo Picasso was a possible but exonerated suspect. Mona Lisa has a story. Mona Lisa has sizzle. Lady with an Ermine does not. Lady with an Ermine was sold along with work from Rembrandt, Renoir, Ch- Chopin, and a chair from Shakespeare's house for a hundred million dollars recently. Having the person who can build something and having the person who can sell something is really important and i think this is what wenger understands he knows that if you don't start telling the story if you don't control the narrative just about anything can happen and he says that transitions are really important and telling the new story is also really important and this is what he says "Quote, this is the predominant form among politicians it's just another machine i think that's a huge misreading end quote These technologies that people are building and developing are not just a new thing. It's a new transition, according to Wenger. And he says that we've really changed the way we've lived twice already. First going from the foraging to the agrarian age, and that technology was seeds and planting, plows and farming. And then the second big transition was from the agrarian to the industrial, and we got there thanks to chemistry and steam power. And Wenger thinks we're moving from the industrial to another age, another form of living. And a lot of things change. We change the religions we have. We change the relationships we have. We change where we live. We change how we view the commons and how we view private ownership of things. What makes this change so different? What he says that politicians don't understand is two really important things. Zero marginal cost and universality. We can reproduce digital products for almost no cost, and those products can be just about anything. He gives the example of having your chest scan read by a machine and once you build the machine that takes the pictures and once you build the algorithm that figures out what is benign and what is malignant you can do that for every person basically for no additional cost same thing for this podcast once I spend the 30 or 40 minutes creating it everyone can enjoy this and it's a non-rival good you listening to it doesn't preclude someone else from listening to it and this is Wenger's point is that we have to understand this. He wants politicians to understand, in Ray Dalio's terms, this is not another one of those. Dalio is a big proponent of learning from history and seeing how things have been done before. He says that nothing new happens under the sun. You just have to figure out which one of those it is. And Wenger is saying that this is a different kind of shift. Technology can push us forward, he says, but it can also push society back. Fire was a huge technological invention, and it cooks meat, but it also burns people. Nuclear destroys cities and powers them. Cryptocurrencies register titles and provide identity, but also function as dark money. These different conditions, these different technologies, this paradigm shift he thinks that we're going to be going through, is going to change what the big constraint can be. In the past, the constraint was capital. That's why he titled his book, World After Capital. But he thinks in the new age, the constraint is going to be attention. And the way you solve for attention is you provide three freedoms, economic freedom, informational freedom, and psychological freedom. Economic freedom is uh, that people should be able to do what they want to do. They They should be able to pursue what they want to pursue. He wants people to engage in the knowledge loop. He wants people to try to figure out things, share the things, learn the things, and go through that cycle over and over and over again. He wants people to be able to allocate time and not have to live in cities. He said, quote, We can't give them land anymore, but we can give them money, end quote. The second freedom is informational freedom, the ability to understand how information is used. In her book, Thinking in Bets, Annie Duke explains the acronym KUDOS. The C is for communism of data. The U is for universalism of data standards. The D is for disinterestedness or an unbiased approach to a situation. And the OS is for organized skepticism. And Duke does a nice job of laying out how you can combine these ideas so that you can do more exploring and less conforming, and that's what Wenger wants. We want people who all have access to the data, who have universal data standards, who have an unbiased approach for things. This is really hard, but it can lean to that informational freedom that Albert advocates. And the third freedom is psychological. We want to be dogged in our curiosity of the world, not Pavlovian when the bell rings. This podcast was my attempt to continue the knowledge loop, to learn, to create, to share, and to repeat. We talked about what thesis-driven investing means, having an idea, updating that idea, and changing that idea to a non-consensus view once other people catch up to you. We talked about cryptocurrency and looked at Carlotta Perez's framework on how technologies change, what paradigms mean, how they can push things or they can increase friction, and how different people adapt to those changes different rates and we talked about Langer's book world after capital and why it's important to control the narrative and how that book is his attempt to do that thanks for listening to this episode of mike's notes well that's very nice thank you very much now why don't you make like a tree and get out of here it's leave you idiot make like a tree and leave you sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong all right then leave Take your book with you!